Well, what, what if I told you guys that, that whatever you're going through uh, right now, uh, no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad you think it is, uh, it, it doesn't have to defeat you. It doesn't have to consume your thoughts and uh, change the way you think, maybe think less of yourself or more about what others might think about you, that in whatever trial that was about to come your way, uh, you could actually overcome that. That would probably be pretty great news for us all, right? So I think to understand how that could take place in our life, we kind of have to actually go back and understand what's already taken place in our life and in the life of this world. And so for me, uh, as a parent, as a dad, I'm a, uh, a father of, of two girls, two daughters, um, but before my kids were ever born, I set my love on them. But before that they ever came into existence in this world, um, their, their mom and I, we, we got excited about them coming. We were already loving them. We were already planning things for them long before they ever got here and became ungrateful little kids, right? I, I'm, I'm just kidding. In all seriousness, we knew you guys do the same thing. I knew this. You know this. It, it's a dangerous world. Yet we still bring kids into it, don't we? We know that, that I knew that I was bringing our kid, our kids, it turns out, into a world that, that was filled with real pain. And it's filled with real suffering sometimes and filled with real loss. But I also knew it's a world filled with real joy and real kindness and real beauty. And, and here was the, the clincher, here was the kicker. M more than anything else, the, the, the reason I decided, the reason we decided to, to still do that, to go ahead and bring kids into this world for us personally was because we knew, I knew that, that my wife and I were going to give them unconditional love. No matter what, no matter uh, who they became, no matter what they did in their life, uh, the mistake, any mistakes they made, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, that our love wasn't going to change. We were going to give them unconditional Now they're young adults and grown, but, but our love hasn't wavered for them. In fact, it's only grown. In fact, it, it keeps us up at night still sometimes praying for them. But uh, we gave them and are giving them unconditional love. And if you've ever experienced unconditional love, you know that is a game changer for your life, isn't it? You know, if there is a person in this world that is actually giving you unconditional love, that can actually change the trajectory of your entire life. That can give you unbelievable assurance and security in your life that no matter what happens to you, no matter what comes your way, no matter what you decide to do with your life, you have somebody in this world giving you unconditional love. Love. Now, I know that's not always true for, on the human perspective, the human level. Not every human gets that from another person on this planet, do they? Not every person is born into a family like that. They don't have parents or an authority figure that actually determines to give them unconditional love throughout their life, no matter what. But one of the things I also knew, one of the things Christy and I also knew was that they had, our kids, even though our love was still going to be imperfect, they had a creator 
that was going to give them unconditional love. They had the creator of the universe that loved them, that had set his love on them before they were born too. They had already set his love on them. In fact, uh, when they came into this world with all the, the, all the harshness and with all the, the maybe the, the, the stuff that they were going to experience in their life, he had already planned, he had already made a way to provide for them to be bought back and redeemed and become his children. And I knew his unconditional love was perfect. It was perfect, and it was a game changer and could change things. And that's not just true for my kids. That's true for your kids. That's not just true for me. That's true for you as well. And so we sit there and we think, how in the world could, could something like that even be possible for God like that to love us like that? Well, it's something that we've been getting reminded of all summer long as we go through this little dynamic chapter in the book of Romans chapter 8 and so we actually pick up there today we're going to conclude this chapter or I should say Paul is concluding this chapter today in this dramatic fashion with this dramatic conclusion today so I want you to turn with me or turn on or look on the screen in Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 31 uh, today and you may have a little subtext there in your Bibles uh, what, what you're looking at that says something like nothing can separate us from God's love or God's inseparable love for us that's really that main hub the main idea of what this text is talking about today but Paul is writing to the church at Rome and he says this in conclusion of this chapter he says verse 31 what shall we say about such wonderful things as these what, what can a person say? How should a person respond? What can a person do when they learn about such wonderful things as these? And the wonderful things is the things he's been talking about all along in chapter 8. And really what he's been talking about, uh, writing this entire letter to the church at Rome. They're wonderful things. How should we respond to such wonderful things? He said, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us, pleading for us. Because this is a wonderful thing that has just been expressed. What, what is being said here is that, guys, listen, God loves you so much. He thinks you are so valuable that you can never, ever, his children can never be separated from his love. And, and guys, listen, literally, there is nothing that stands a chance against a love like that. It changes everything. It changes us. It changes our life right it's now it's easy it's easy to say that you love somebody like that but it's a whole nother thing to mean it isn't it it's easy to say you love somebody until it gets times get tough it's another thing to actually mean it in fact what do we do guys how do you actually know when somebody actually uh loves you like that or how, how do you know another way to say it is how do you know what you're really worth to somebody else in your life how, how do we know that well uh, one of the things we can actually look at and understand is, is what does it mean to value something? What gives something or what gives, in this case, someone value from, from somebody else? One of my favorite shows is Pawn Stars. Um, you guys may have watched it, you may even know it. Don't, don't act like you haven't heard of it. But in case you haven't, 
uh, it, it's this pawn shop in Las Vegas that was started by this family, and, and uh, their little mantra uh, is, you never know what's going to walk through that door. And so the owner uh, of the, the, the business, Rick, he's, he's a, a ner history nerd and all this stuff, so he, he knows uh, pretty much about most everything that, that walks in there. But every person that comes in there, they're bringing something and they think it's so bad. They, they think it's going to be worth hundreds or thousands of dollars to somebody else, and they bring it in there. And sometimes it is, and sometimes they call in the expert, and they get disappointed, and they find out what they brought in to somebody else is really worth nothing because that's how you determine the value of something: is what is somebody else willing to pay for that something, right? That, that's how we know when something's valuable to somebody else. But guys, listen, even when, even when what they brought in is determined like, hey, this has no value to anybody else, in most cases, they still don't sell it or give it away. Why? Because they love it. Because to them, it is super valuable, uh, or maybe what it represents to them is super valuable. So how do we really know then how much God actually loves us more than words, right? How, how do we know that? Well, verse 32 reminds us of that. We know how much he loves us because of how much he paid for us. He, he paid it all for us. That's how we know we're that valuable, guys. He thinks you are so valuable, so worth saving, that he actually gave up what he values most, his son, so that we wouldn't have to worry in the least. That, that's how we know how valuable we are. That's how we know how much he actually loves us because of the price he paid for us so that we could actually be justified from our sin, justified from our guilt, justified from our shame so that one day we could actually be glorified. This whole chapter is talking about justification and glorification so that one day, one day we'll finally be made right once and for all and not only that not only did he pay that ultimate price and that's that's how we know he is also it says now sitting in the seat of honor after paying that price pleading for us pleading on our our behalf like every good parent ever does that's given out that unconditional love for the rest of their life they're pleading for them because that's how much he loves us he paid that heavy price and now he still sits there and he pleads for us on our behalf and he has declared a purpose over us that is far greater than what anyone else could ever say or anyone else could ever do to you now that should be something that overwhelms us right that how do you comprehend something like that in fact how do you respond to such wonderful things how do you respond to a wonderful thing like that sadly i think oftentimes we we respond with a big yeah but we hear something that incredible, that wonderful, and our response is, yeah, but you don't understand me. You don't understand what I've gone through. Yeah, but you don't understand what I've done. Yeah, but, but you don't understand what's going on in my life, the, all these circumstances that have happened to me in my life. Yeah, but I really think, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I even need all that. I think I got this. I'm not sure that I even want to receive that kind of incredible gift of love so rather than accept and live under this amazing gift of love we will often go through life allowing something or, or in most cases we allow someone to rob us to rob us of our worth 
to rob us of our value, to, to determine who we are and actually label us for their own purposes, and, and we start buying that. We start buying all of that. It becomes our, our identity. I, I've got, uh, you know, I told you I have two, two, two daughters, and uh, when they entered the teenage years, uh, they, they were heading into middle school and, and to high school, um, I, I actually sat them down and I made them listen to this sermon. Now, not of me, that would be terrible, but um, a sermon of somebody else. And, and as a, pre- listen, I, I'm very sensitive about that. You know, I, this, is, I've, this is probably the only time I've ever done this where I've literally sat them down and made them watch this sermon. But the reason that I did it is because I knew where they were about to go in. I, I knew the environment they were about to enter into. And man, it, it is harsh. If, if you haven't uh, visited a public middle school or a public high school lately, you ought to give it a shot. I'm a full-grown man and it scares me. Right? Much less 13, 14, 15 year old girls going into that kind of environment. As grown ups now, we can be nasty and awful, but most of the time, we're mature enough to have a little bit of self control. Teenagers do not, but they have all the ammo still. They just can't control it. So, man, they unload on everybody. It is a crazy, harsh environment, crazy, harsh time. And I knew this, especially as girls. They're going through that transformation and struggling like that. I knew it was going to be harsh. So I made them sit down and watch this sermon. And really, the crux of that sermon centered around, listen, there's only one person who has the right, who has the authority to label you, to give you your worth and your value. And the only person who has the right to do that is your creator who has bought you back and redeemed you. But you're about to enter into to a deal where, man, labels are going to get thrown at you. They're just left and right. And, and, and sure enough, they didn't like, like what happened. They knew that truth. They heard it. And, and immediately they, they, they went off, off to school and labels started getting thrown at them. And some of them stuck and some of them actually broke their spirits. Why? They, they knew the truth. They knew it. Why, why would it start breaking their spirits? Why would they start allowing those labels to stick to us? Well, the same reason that you and I do it, isn't it? It's the same reason that we do it, guys. Listen listen to this. The reality is your worth is established by what the most important person in your life thinks about you. Let me say that again. Your worth is established by what the most important person, not who the most important actually is, but whoever you think the most important person in your life is, that's what establishes your worth. And guys, listen, for my daughters, sometimes Jesus wasn't the most important person in their life. And sometimes he's not the most important person in my life. And sometimes he's not the most important person in your life. And we have to be Man, we have to be so careful because the minute, guys, the minute that you allow a spouse, the minute that you allow a parent, the minute that you allow a sibling or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a friend or some 15-year-old white suburban kid become the most important person in your life, and you have already lost. You have already forgotten your real identity. You have already forgotten how much you were actually loved. You have already forgotten how much has actually been sacrificed for you. You have already forgotten that you've been redeemed and bought back with a heavy price. You have already forgotten how much you are actually loved and the power that comes with that. And I think Paul here, if we could kind of sum it up, the one big point uh, today that he's stating here is simply this, guys. A secured love leads to an assured life a secured love in christ 
will lead us to a secure life. And that is such incredible news. That is a wonderful thing. And so Paul here, I think, is doubling down on what he's been saying this entire chapter. And he's doing it in conclusion. He's using this little thing, right? He's unleashing this little thing called cadence and repetition. And he's doing it with these rhetorical questions. We know what rhetorical questions are, right? They're actually statements. They're questions that, that we are, they're a statement. We're not supposed to answer. There's always that one person trying to answer the rhetorical question. So Paul actually, he, he doesn't even wait for it. He just answers every single rhetorical question, even though it's not a question. So I highlighted it for us here. When you look at those verses again in 31 through 34, you, you see that cadence, you see that, that, that repetition that's driving home this central point. If God, who can, since he, won't he, who dares, who dares accuse, no one, who then, no one, no one who, who's left to condemn you, no, nobody. Who, who can separate you from my love? No, nobody. They're statements, they're not questions. So, so certainly, how do we respond to that? We can't respond with, yeah, but. Not with something like that, not, not with a beautiful truth like that because a love like that cha changes everything doesn't it? in fact I, th I think our response we're, we're left with one of the, our first initial responses to something like that is that a changed love guys changes our behavior love like that a changed love it, it will change our behavior the, the only thing left to do in response to, to to a god that loves us like that is to worship a person like that it is to fall in love with a person like that. Not, not the worldly romantic kind of love, but our, our response should be to fall in love with a person that loves us like that. Because, guys, whatever you truly love, you truly worship. That's how it works. That, that, that's how life works. And listen, guys, the order of the affections in your life, the rank order of your loves in your life, whoever holds that top spot and that second spot and that third spot, the order of the affections in your life, it'll always determine the direction of your life. If you're wondering, hey, why am I ending up here all the time? Why, am I always, why is my life always going here all the time? Well, who do you love? Who do you love most? Who do you love second most? Who do you love third most? It'll always determine the direction of your life now practically speaking what does that look like how does that get illustrated just so, so it kind of drives home and we understand what that means practically speaking well i'm going to stay on this note uh probably through, throughout but if you've got a teenager you understand this if you don't have a teenager you've been a teenager so just dial it back to when you were a teenager you were exactly like the teenagers of today you are exactly like them, right? Or it could be that you're a teenager today, and if you're a teenager today, there's been an authority figure probably or a parent that has said something like this to you. Why are you so lazy? What, why don't you like clean your room? Why don't you just get a job? Why don't you have some self-respect, man? Why, why don't you actually care about how you look and how you smell? And wh how does that teenager respond? <coughs> they, they immediately change their behavior, right? No. In fact, sometimes they'll get worse on purpose. Tell me what it is. Why? Why, parents? Why? Because we're always the last to know we don't hold that top spot anymore, do we? We have been, uh, we've fallen down the ranks, so to speak. Right? We don't hold their top affections anymore. But there's a little miracle that happens with that teenager, right? We all know it. What happens? Enter cute boy or cute girl into their life. And what happens? 
what happens? Now, that cute boy or that cute uh, girl, they hold that top spot of affection. Now they love this person, and now it, it changes their behavior. Now it's like they're Elon Musk starting a company trying to get a job, right? They're, they're out there it's like, man, I got I to gotta get this job now because I got to get money, because I got to get a car, because I got to take this person that I love out on these dates. Uh, I, I've got to actually care now about how I look and how I smell. And it's like, who is this person? What changed? Their love changed. Their love for a person changed, and it changed their behavior. They set their affection on somebody, and it changed their behavior. And as believers, guys, I think we often get it twisted, don't we? I think we, we come to Christ uh, initially, and we immediately start trying to, change, to behave. We immediately start trying to behave first, don't we? rather than falling more deeply in love with the person in response to his great and inseparable love for us. We start trying to behave without really loving him deeply first. So we're trying to obey, 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 and behave, 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 and we fail miserably, don't we? Because that's not how it works. And so guys, falling in love with a person that changes everything, it gives you focus and purpose and I think when we fall in love not again in this deep spiritual love that, that we respond to because of his love when we fall in love with him and that unending love only then do we have the fuel to obey him the desire only then do now our behaviors start to change because if you love someone deeply it will change your behavior dramatically guys if we love Jesus actually love Jesus deeply it will change our behavior dramatically. Dramatically. And so the, the kind of the first challenge then I want to, I want to uh, lay out there for us today is simply this. At some point this week, um, sit down just for a few minutes. And maybe you, you want to do this mentally. Maybe you want to write, jot this down on, on a piece of paper or, or whatever. But uh, make your top five uh, affection list, right? Who, who holds those top spots in your life? Who's at the top? Who's at second? Who's third? Just make a list mentally or on paper. And listen, be honest. No, nobody is, is going to see this. Only you. I'm not going to be checking on this. So be honest. Does Jesus hold the top spot? Does he even crack your top five? Because as soon as Jesus is not your top affection, we're in trouble we're in trouble aren't we and, and you may be, be sitting here today and you're like Jonathan yes we've had I've had a relationship with Jesus uh, long enough now I get what you're saying he does hold my he is the most important person in my life I love him deeply so why am I still discouraged what why do I still get so discouraged why does why does it seem like I struggle so much still why does it seem all, all these things keep happening to me, well, I think you're, you're, ask, you're, you're thinking about it uh, in the wrong way. You're asking the wrong question, guys. One of our responses to a love like God's is, yes, we love him deeply, and now we can expect that's how it's going to work. Our behavior will change, but that doesn't mean that we're still not going to struggle or struggles still aren't going to come our way. What happens in response to that love? Now, now we can actually expect our struggles to build us up eventually instead of tearing us down. Right? Look at verses 35 through 37 of what Paul uh, reiterates here. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Again, another rhetorical question. He's saying, no, dummy, no. Does it mean 
He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Paul, you were doing so well, and then you threw in this weird verse. What is going on? We're going to circle back to that, and there's a reason he did that. In 37, he says, no, despite all these things, listen to this, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. Paul is saying, listen, in response to this love now, like, will the struggles go away? Will our attackers go away? No, 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 no. Our attackers aren't going to go away. Will our struggles go away? Will our, will our discouragement, is that going to go away? No. But his love never goes away. And that's the point. See, what happens, I think, as, as believers, we, 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 start st we still experience these struggles in our life. We're going, man, I love Jesus so much. Why am I still struggling? No, no, guys. We start all these things, and it causes us to doubt that love for us. And when we start doubting his love for us, that, oh, maybe, it's, maybe he doesn't love me unconditionally, then it changes how it affects how we love back, doesn't it? So I think that's, that's the dangers as a believer. I, I think when we look at those discouragement and those struggles in life, we can probably break them out into two main categories. And it was true for the audience that he's writing to at the Church of Rome, and it, it holds true for us today. We typically, there's lots of struggles that come our way in life, but we can pretty much put them under two primary categories. The first one is that sin cycle in our life. It is that sanctification process where, guys, sin has lost its power over us, but it is still present in our life. So that has been, look, look back through the, the biblical uh, historical timeline. We see that sin cycle repeat in individuals and in nations over and over and again, and we still struggle with that. Now that sin cycle happens in our own life, doesn't it? Where now we come to Christ, and man, it's like uh, that first love, and we put him at the top of our affection list, and then what happens over time? We kick him out of there, don't we? And who do we replace at the top of that list? It can be lots of things, but I think in most cases, who gets slotted in there? We do. We put ourselves back at the top of that list. So now we start defying him. Man, I'm struggling. If you really love me, you wouldn't cause me to struggle. If you really love me, I wouldn't do this. I'm going to defy you. And so now eventually, like it always happens, things go sideways. It doesn't work out. When we do that, we start experiencing guilt and shame. And ultimately, eventually, that leads to remorse and regret, and in most cases, not always, it leads us to repentance, to where we finally say, how could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so stupid? And we fall back, and we're like, man, is God going to love me still? Yes, because Paul is resoundingly reminded, his love never goes away. He is there with oh, that love is that you can't, man, you don't have to doubt it, even through that sin cycle, because what happens is we repent, we come back to him, we put him back at the top of that list, and then eventually what do we do again? We kick him out. We defy him, and the guilt and shame starts again, and the regret, and maybe the repent, and, and over and over that happens, and we think, man, if I can't get out of the cycle, how in the world could he still love? He does. His love never stops. His love never stops and guys what he's saying there what paul is reminding us is guess what your worth isn't established by the good that you've done or the good that you will ever do just like listen it isn't voided by the evil sin cycle that you're going to still do because listen guys you are not good enough to earn god's love and and you can't be bad enough to lose it because it was and it never will be dependent on you thank god we can rest in that secure love 
and have that assurance in our life even through that sin cycle that we all repeat. Thank God. But, but not just the sin cycle discourages right, where we start doubting God's love. We also get over here in that suffering and death category, don't we? It's, these are those uncontrollable things that happen to us in life. They're really no, no fault of our own. They're happening to us just because we were born here on this planet. Things are coming up. We're going to experience suffering, calamity. We're going to experience trials, uh, hardships, death. All these things come into our life just because we live here. And that can be brutal. That can, be, that can start to discourage us and say, why? We start asking the question, why, why, why? We should be asking the question, why? It's like, hey, does God still love me? Yes. Oh, thank God. Right? So what happens then with this church? So Paul knows, I, I think, the, 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 the audience, the listeners that, that he's writing to, they would have been experiencing that same thing, probably having those same questions ring out in their head. And in verse 35 through 37, I think he's addressing especially that suffering and death category there. And he actually drops in in verse 36, which when we read it seems a little strange that he would drop something like that in there. But he's actually quoting from Psalm 44. He's using what rabbis at the time uh, called a remiz or a hint. He's, he's dropping this in there, and he's basically what he's doing, he's giving the first line of a song, or a psalm, in this case, where everybody that heard it, they would know it immediately, and they would finish the rest of it in their head, right? So it would be like for us today, if I sang you the first line of a song that everybody knew, like, just a small town girl. See, you couldn't even, you had to say it. You couldn't even finish it in your head. You had to say it, right? Everybody knows it. That's what was happening here. Or it would be like for us today, uh, if, we, if we knew a spiritual song that, that goes with the theme of our message today, it would be like, blessed assurance, right? That's what he just did. That's what he did, just did. And what he was reminding him, what he's saying to them, what he's saying to us today is this, guys, even when it gets really bad in our life, even when it gets so hard through the, the struggles and the death and the pain and the suffering that are still pouring on us, even when it gets really bad, even when it gets Psalm 44 bad, we can have the assurance that our, God love, our God's love never wavers. It is unbreakable. It'll never, never be separated from us. There is nothing that could ever get between it. And he's reminding him of that great truth and that great fact. So we respond then to such a great love, even through all that, by trusting him even more. And so now, not only now, because in response to this inseparable love, can we be secure now that we know, okay, yes, now I know, uh, you know, I wonder how do I change? How am I supposed to transform and change? Well, as my love for him grows, I know that eventually my behavior will change. So we can be secure in that fact that we will change as our love grows because of his inseparable love that never changes. And we can be secure in that fact that now, even through our sin cycle, okay, we don't have to doubt his love for us. Even through this suffering and death category, we can be secure. We know he still loves us. And now we don't have to just be on the defense. Now, because of that great love, we can be proactive and offensive. We can take risk of faith. How do you respond to such wonderful things? You take risk. You jump. You take a risk of faith now in your life. Your goal, our goal in life is not to try and just avoid the valleys in life. But when God is for us, we become more than conquerors. We can now become more than conquerors because of his great love for us. It actually compels us to take risk now for who we love. That's what happens when you love someone deeply. 
You can't, you, you're willing to take a risk for them, aren't you? Guys, it's why, <coughs> it's, it's why we even have the expression like mama bears. Everybody knows what a mama bear is. It's this little short mama, and it's all sweet and cuddly, but, and then she turns into a bear when her kids are in danger or when she views there's a threat in, in the, the, these kids that she loves so much and so this that's why this five foot woman can start shaking her finger and and being angry and yelling at a six foot five man that could squish her it's because she's taken a risk because of how much she loves someone it, it, it's, it's why husbands we go out on our birthdays when we're old to a mexican restaurant and uh, our wives gets gets the mariachi band to come over and make us wear a sombrero hat and embarrass us why because we love her we do that because we like, i would do that anyway whether i loved her or not <laughs> but guys listen when, when we love someone we, we take risk of faith for them don't we we love jesus we love him so we risk being embarrassed don't we we love him so we risk being embarrassed we risk being embarrassed by having that spiritual conversation with somebody that, that you know you need to have because we love him. We love him, so we risk being kind to someone that's not like us. We love him, so we risk loving somebody that may never love us back, just like, just like he did. We love him so much, so, so we risk giving up control of our kids and giving up control of our spouse. And by the way, we never had that control to begin with. We love him, so we risk forgiving somebody that we've probably forgotten while we're mad at in the first place. Guys, the Christian faith, it is not some ticket you punch that's eventually going to get you into some heavenly place. It is a journey that you take with a Savior and Lord you trust because he loves you like this. So my, my final challenge for us to today is simply this take some time now don't you may need more than a, a week i want you to actually ponder this process this allow god to really speak into your heart and soul maybe over the next three or four weeks and ask these two questions what what risk do you need to take what faith risk do you need to take in your life that you you know you know it already probably but if you don't take some time and really think about this lay that out before god and say what what faith risk do i know i, I need to be taken i'm not talking about the kind that says yeah i should move overseas and become a missionary <laughs> maybe that's it great but in most cases it's, it's all those other things in your life what faith risk do you know you need to take because you love them that you haven't been taken and why haven't you why haven't you been taking that risk for somebody that loves you that much for somebody that you love that much never forget guys and paul ends in a resounding fashion in verse 38 never forget he says and i am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from god's love neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from god's love no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of god that is revealed in christ jesus our lord 
Because there are a lot of things in life that can affect our situations. But there is nothing that can ever affect his love for us and the outcome that represents. Jesus is who he says he is. His love is what he says it is. You are who he says you are, guys. Listen, Paul was convinced. I am convinced. Every child of God now can be convinced that if God is for us, nothing can be against us. So because of that, love freely today in Christ. Because of that, be set free from the troubles in your soul. Because of that, love, be set free from the troubles of this world. Because of that, love, sing an old song in a new way today. Because, guys, I'm telling you, no one, and I mean no one, has it better than us. Would you pray with me?